We have been on Sunday nights traveling along chapter by chapter in the New Testament, and we come to the second chapter of Colossians this evening. The title of our sharing with you is Three Modern Warnings. As you look at your notes, you will see those warnings listed there very clearly in the outline. Beware of empty philosophies, beware of religious legalism, and beware of man-made disciplines. One great question that is answered in Colossians, the second chapter, is what about all of the laws of the Old Testament? Do they apply today? Brethren, I think we're going to have to leave the lights up just a little bit tonight or those uh, notes will be a little blurry. <laughs> right, that's better. Thank you. Uh, what about all those laws in the Old Testament in terms of their application to today? It's one of the most oft-asked questions by people in this world, and we have an answer tonight. Now, it's not in the early verses. You have to hold on to that until we get down toward the end, but we'll get there, I promise. So you carefully follow, if you will. You have your Bible open, Colossians chapter 2. It seems that in Paul's day there were many false teachers. There were many doctrines that were floating about, not too much unlike today. And Paul addresses these believers in Colossae again to help clarify some of the doctrines that were being taught. The main thrust in this whole chapter is in that little introductory line at the top of your notes. The sufficiency of Christ for every need. That's the crux of this whole chapter. Be sure you have that underlined. It also applies to the question about the Old Testament law and its effect on us today, as you will see. The sufficiency of Christ for every need. Now, as we take this chapter and break it down, it simply comes out into these three major warnings. I have titled this three modern warnings so that you will understand that the warnings given by Paul are just as important to us today as they were then. I do not see that much difference in the conditions. Today is against then. So let us learn and let us profit and let us grow by what he teaches in this great chapter. First of all, he says to beware of empty philosophies. Notice how he begins this chapter. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. Now, this is a very spiritual term here. Paul was troubled in his spirit, wrestling in prayer, 
seeking God's answer for these believers who in some cases had been led astray by false teachers and by false doctrines or vain philosophies. Now, I'm afraid that in some instances today, we have lost this ability to wrestle. What great conflict I have toward you indicates how Paul went against Satan and the kingdom of darkness for his fellow believers. If we were to put it in the terms of Ezekiel, he stood in the gap for them in prayer. Now, friends, I want you to look around tonight and see this host of folk. And as you look, I want to say something to you. You are responsible to each other. You are responsible for each other's welfare, spiritually and otherwise. And we need to bring back again into the church of Jesus Christ the ability to wage war against the kingdom of darkness for each other. We need to learn how to pray for each other, to intercede for one another, to get hold of God for those wounded, as Carmen sang tonight. This is what Paul is saying about his relationship with this church. I am in conflict because Satan has sought to destroy you. He has sought to lead you astray, and you must know how to overcome Satan, and I am in battle for you because of the philosophies of men that you are falling prey to. They are empty and they're vain. And there are many today who are in some way being duped by the philosophies of men. The false teachers had their fascinating philosophies. But he says to this church in Christ, we have all the wisdom of the treasures of God. And what else is there? It is wonderful to have books it is wonderful to have people who have the ability to write. But friends, if you read everything but this book, you're going to get nothing but the philosophies of men. And the people in Paul's day were listening to everything and reading everything, and Paul had to draw them back by love and by the conflict of prayer, spiritual warfare, into that which was really important and necessary for their life. Verse 3 speaks of hidden treasure, hidden wisdom and hidden knowledge. Now, it is only hidden to the degree that we are unable to seek it out, that we are unable to read and to apply it does not mean that it is unavailable. It simply means you have to give attention to it. You have to give time to it. And you have to let the Holy Spirit make it real to your heart. I simply ask you tonight, are you giving God that kind of time? 
If you're not, every wind of doctrine that comes along will be the possibility of difficulty for you, of taking your pure mind and deluding it by vain philosophies and wisdom of men. Too often Christians are beguiled by enticing words. Example, Jim Jones. Enticing words. The people should have immediately detected that this was a false prophet. When he took the Bible and stamped on it with his feet, it should have been an indication to them that this was not the man to follow. But they were deluded, duped by the philosophies of a man, and they ended up with poison Kool-Aid in Guyana. And how tragic that is. When they had available at their fingertips all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that God could ever reveal to man. And yet they followed after empty philosophy. Verse 8 gives the warning. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Now here's the test. Notice it. And not according to Christ. Now, if you want to know how to judge, if you want to know how to figure this all out, just notice how Paul put it to the Colossians. The traditions of men versus that which is according to Christ. Christ is the test. Always, foremost, uppermost, Jesus Christ. Does this fit Jesus Christ? Does this stand the test of Jesus Christ? Verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Oh, wow. Do you want that in a nutshell? Draw on his fullness. Draw on his fullness. Take him into your life fully. Take him into your life totally. Draw on his wisdom. Draw on his knowledge. Draw on his understanding of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he becomes to you the opportunity of all wisdom and of all knowledge and of all understanding if you will just draw on him and stop spending so much time seeking after the philosophies of men, but come and ask him for his wisdom and his power. Last Sunday night, in this pulpit was my boyhood pastor, Dwight McLaughlin. Brother McLaughlin did not have a formal education. But I believe those of you who were here recognize the depth of wisdom and the depth of knowledge and the depth of relationship with Jesus Christ that flowed forth. How could that be without the formal training that men say is so essential today? Well, it comes out of what Paul is expressing in this passage of Scripture. 
And I want to draw this to your attention again, going back to verse 4. This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, I am with you in spirit. Now jumping to verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him. Before I leave this section, there are four points on your notes there that you need to take to heart. If you are going to overcome the empty philosophies of the Jim Joneses of our world, you must first walk in him. He must be the major emphasis of your life. I don't know how to say it any other way. Walk in him. Communicate with him. Fellowship with him. Learn of him. The communion helps us. It's a way of identifying with him. The word helps us. Again, we identify with him. Walk in him. Secondly, grow up in him or be built up in him. It's translated, grow up in him. Have foundations that are strong. If not, every believer will fall prey to the philosophies of men. They must be rooted in Christ and growing constantly in him. Verse 8, make Christ the test. I've already mentioned that, the last statement of verse number 8, and then in verse 9 and 10, draw on his fullness. In him we have all that we need. That's the theme that I mentioned to begin with. Ye are made full in him. How often we forget that God has given us Jesus Christ in order that we might be full, in order that we might have everything we need, in order that we might sing, He's all I need, Jesus is all that I need. Get your direction straight. Get your face pointed in the right way. Set your face like a flint. It's wonderful if we are able to have formal education. It's wonderful if we are able to get into the books as long as... That does not lead us away from the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That was happening in Paul's day, and it's happening in our day. And I call to you tonight with all of the energy of my being, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your feet rooted in his word. Keep your heart in tune with Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He is the uppermost. He is all that God has provided for you to understand what the Godhead is all about and what today is all about and what tomorrow is all about. It's all wrapped up in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Get acquainted with him. Know him personally. Know him like you know your name. Don't let him be some foreign figure that you sing about once a week. Let him be as intimate as your breath. Let him be as close as your hand. Let him be the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And when he is, you'll never have to worry about the empty philosophies of this world. You'll be all right. Number two, modern warning. Beware of religious legalism. Goes from verse 11 down through verse 17. Now these teachers had mixed oriental mysticism with Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism. 
What a mixture. Oriental mysticism, Greek philosophy, and Jewish tradition all wrapped up. And it was being spread out like various spreads on crackers. And they were eating to see what was good. The flesh loves to be religious. Did you know that? Have you ever found that out? There's something about religion that makes us feel better, that we have done something that must be done and our consciences are appeased. But it does not really help us in terms of knowing God. The Colossian believers were into Jewish legalism, as this passage notes, rituals, diets, holidays. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, you're going out of the sunlight into the shadows, is what Paul says. You're missing the whole point. Jesus is the sunlight. You're dwelling in the shadows. You're forsaking the reality. You are like a child who looks at his father's photograph while he ignores his father's presence. The photograph will never appease for the presence of the father. Or it could be a sweetheart. That photograph will never do the same as the presence of the sweetheart will do. If you're in love with a photograph, you're sick. All that we need has been accomplished by Christ on the cross. So he begins in verse 11 with this message of circumcision. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Has nothing to do with physical circumcision or the circumcision of the male, but it has something to do with the spiritual life of Christ within. Cutting away that which needs to be cut away by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism, raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And in verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses, why do we look other places? Why do we search in other avenues? When here, again, Paul says, you have everything you need if you will only find it in Jesus Christ. The old covenant laws, according to this passage, are set aside. This is the part I want to come back to after giving you the warning that they're here, if you'll just see it. In verse 16, Therefore let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. All of these are a shadow of things to come. Now here's the verse that so many of you need in dealing with some of your friends who say if you're going to be honest to the Bible, you're going to have to keep all those Old Testament laws. It's not so. That's not what the New Testament teaches. Those were given to a specific group of people for a specific period of time, and Jesus abolished them through the work of his cross. And he points this out through the Apostle Paul so very clearly in this 16th verse. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These have all been put away. Let no one defraud you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Where are we? We're back to the introduction. Clearly, the sufficiency of Christ for every need is what Paul is teaching. 
It is not keeping certain days. It is not eating certain foods. It is not observing five times a day as the Muslims do that time of prayer. As meaningful as that may be, it is not what saves us. It is not what provides for us eternal life. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And when he came and gave his life on the cross, he set aside all of that old covenant that was so necessary to the Jew before a Savior, a Messiah, came to redeem mankind. I'm so glad that I don't have to keep those 3,800 laws and ordinances that are tucked back there in the Old Testament. I'm so pleased that Jesus Christ came to put that all away so that I could live freely out of my heart for him and let his life be the guiding force of my life. If I will allow him to do that, I'll be doing those things which please him and which glorifies him at all times. Notice in verse 15 that the, the devil himself, Satan, was defeated, disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Satan is disarmed. Through the work of Christ, Satan was literally disarmed. He had all of his armor pulled away. He had all of his weaponry removed. He is totally vulnerable now through the work of Jesus Christ. So why do you need empty philosophy and why do you need religious legalism? There is liberty in Christ. Don't let anybody judge you according to things done in the flesh. The judgment must be according to our relationship with the living Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the bottom line. It's not how many times you pray, as important as prayer is. May I help you? Some of you sit condemned today because you didn't pray one hour every day this past week. Now, maybe you should have, but you don't have to sit condemned. The devil looks at you to condemn you but Jesus disarmed the devil, and you can come tonight and say, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I failed again. I didn't do it exactly the way I think it should have been done, but I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. It's not how many times I pray. It's not how many times I witness. It's not how much money I give, although there is a line and a rule for that for me, but that does not in any way affect my relationship with you as long as I recognize you as my source and keep you uppermost in my mind and in my heart and ask your forgiveness and give me strength, Lord, to do better. That is the criterion for my life. You can be free from all of those things that people say you have to do if you're going to be spiritual. Well, I've been around the world a little bit to where people should be spiritual by their keeping of laws, but they're the people today that are killing people by the thousands. They're the people that have war going constantly, and they're the people that think that there is some kind of reward and benefit by loading a truck up with dynamite and driving it into the barracks of Marines and blowing them to smithereens, and they go out into some kind of nirvana somewhere where they're going to have eternal bliss. 
That's religion. That's legalism. But that which Paul speaks about is a thing of the spirit. It's a circumcision of the heart where he takes his knife and he cuts off the things of the flesh that need to be trimmed and removed in order that we might be disciples of Jesus Christ, living for him because we love him, because we want to, because these are a part of our hearts in love to him and then in blessing to the world. One of the warnings for today, be careful of religious legalism. How wonderful it is to be able to serve God out of a pure heart. Now the third step, as we move to the end of the chapter, deals with man-made disciplines. How religious flesh loves fasting, regulations about food, bodily disciplines, and so on. The idea of Lent, with its religious regulations, makes a lot of people feel spiritual. And that's what Paul speaks of in this last section. Let no one defraud you, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase which is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself yourselves to regulation. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. That does not make us spiritual. That's what you ought to write in there. None of this makes us spiritual. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. We will come one of these days to another Easter season and people will start talking about what they're going to give up for Lent. Let no man beguile you. What did Christ think of Rome with her fasts, her black robes, and her penance? What does Christ think of it today? As people have gathered in various places and they have gone through ritual and they've gone through motions, they have lit candles, they have said prayers, they have done spiritual calisthenics, It is empty. It is void of meaning and of life. God does not want us to set aside five days or seven days once a year and set aside something that we enjoy to make us feel that we're going to get spiritual and then pick it up the next Monday and do it again for 51 weeks and then in the 52nd week, we start all over that little process again. That doesn't do us a bit of good. It's the circumcision of the heart that's important. It's being able to lay it down for the glory of God if it's harmful and hurtful, and if it's something that we should give up and be better off without. Christ is all we need, Paul says. He is the answer. He's the one that wants to control the flesh. We cannot do it. But when he comes to take his abode in us, it will happen. And the second chapter of Galatians in the 20th verse comes so beautifully into view here when Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. There it is. 
I have put all of these things to death. I have nailed all these things to the cross. I have put them under the blood of Jesus, and guess what I got? Life. I have put them all under his care and his blood, and he gave me back everything that I ever hoped for and everything that I ever wanted. Oh, there are people here in church tonight, I'm afraid, that are struggling with their spiritual life, trying to figure out how to get rid of this and how to get rid of that. And if they could just drop this and if they could just drop that, they would become spiritual. That's not the way it works, friend. Come in contact with the living Christ. Open your heart tonight to the living Christ. Open your spirit to the Lord Jesus tonight. Let him perform circumcision in your heart. And you won't have to worry about this thing. And you won't have to worry about that thing. You will be able to say with the apostle, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the essence of Colossians chapter 2. And that's the warning that he issues to us in this modern day. Be careful of man-made disciplines. All you need is Christ. That's the main theme. Now, as I wrap this up, it's important that you move from kindergarten living into the element of Paul's teaching here in this book. So many of us stay back there in those elementary grades. We need to move out of that. We have to not only begin in the Spirit, but we need to progress in the Spirit and let God perfect us in our union with Him. The old motto hanging on the wall, I guess, is as good as anything I could share. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. All of this dealing with the flesh, all of this man-made legalism, all of these empty philosophies, they will pass away. But what you do for Jesus Christ will stand the test. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Right at the bottom of the sheet, it's a question of Galatians 3.3. Well, the answer is obvious. No, I am not made perfect by the flesh. I have to continue in the Spirit. I have to be full of Him. And I have to drink in all that He has provided me. Example as we close. Peter before Pentecost would be a good example of some of Colossians 2. Weak, driven by his own flesh, unable to stand the test when it came to him even though Jesus warned him living according to Peter's standard. And he failed, and he wept, and he repented, and he went to the upper room. You know what some of you need to do tonight? You need to go to the upper room. You've come to Calvary, and I'm grateful for that. You have knelt at the cross, and there has come pardon and forgiveness, and I'm grateful for that. But you need to move now from the cross over to the upper room. Jesus said, Peter, you're a reed, but you're going to be a rock. How will that happen when you move from here to here? When you get in that upper room and you receive of the fullness of the Spirit, you're going to be strong. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be the preacher of Pentecost. And Peter in the natural said, no way, Lord. You've got the wrong man, wrong address, 
But Jesus knew what he was talking about because he knew of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you must go and tarry until you're endued with power from on high. There are a lot of churches that do not teach that there is a subsequent experience to conversion, the power of the Holy Ghost in baptism so that we can stand against the devil. We can take those things that rob us of spiritual life and nail them to the tree. We can live victoriously every day. And Peter, after that encounter with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, never again wavered, never again fell, never again was in compromise because he had the fullness of God within. There had been a circumcision of his heart, and he was filled with God. Wonderful to be able to say, I've been saved. It's wonderful to be able to say, I've been baptized in water. But friend, we need to get into the book of Acts. We need to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues, which is for all believers. Paul experienced it, and his whole life was built around his prayer life. I speak with tongues more than ye all. There was a spiritual power that he experienced on a daily basis that kept him even and kept him strong and kept him in those trying times, shipwreck, prison, beatings, all of the rest. He had that ability to communicate instantaneously with God in the Spirit. He moved out of legalism. He moved out of the fleshly realm. He moved out of philosophy, and he moved into the power of God. Have you? What are you waiting for? Well, you say, I don't quite understand it. Well, a lot of folk were in that boat too. Peter was in that boat, but he got out, put his feet on the water, and started to walk. I encourage you tonight to get out of the boat and start to walk. The times in which we live demand it. We're not going to see it get easier. The battle is waging. We are in need of strength. We're in need of conflict in prayer for one another. As I said at the beginning, we're in need of strengthening our own life. Some of you need to go to that upper room and receive the fullness of God and learn how to pray in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit so you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You won't become duped by the enemy who is seeking to destroy. I ask you to consider it tonight. Make sure your heart is warm toward God and you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for life and for service. Let's bow in prayer as we consider it. As we ask God to minister the truth to our hearts. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this passage of Scripture, how up-to-date it is, because there are people all around us who are going after the philosophies of men, who are depending upon legalism, holy days, certain practices, but they are but sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Oh God, we pray tonight that our experience will be dynamite, up-to-date, live. It will be that which changes and motivates and captivates. We'll not be pushed around by circumstances or by the enemy himself. 
but we will become strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Speak, we pray, to our hearts. Help us not to fall under the impressions of a Jim Jones or others like him that are on radio and television and who are in print. Help us to keep in the book. Help us to keep low before thee, O Lord, filled with you that we may stand the test and fight the good fight and lay hold on eternal life. Strengthen my brothers and my sisters tonight and those, Lord, who have not experienced their own Pentecost. May tonight they experience their own Pentecost. May they know that they have this freedom of prayer in the Spirit, a language in the Spirit that they can use as they come and avail themselves as the disciples did on that day in that upper room. Lead us to the place of commitment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together, please.